The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm not Pastor Andrew, and I'm not going to try to be Pastor Andrew. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of the Grove Church, mainly the Marysville campus. Uh, And as Andrew and Amanda and Liddy and June are on vacation, I got to step in today uh, to bring uh, us into part six of our Lights, Camera, Action series. So I'm honored to be here. I'm excited to be here. Uh, If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I hope I get to say hi before you head home or go to lunch, whatever your plans are right after this. Um, I want to draw your attention to a couple things before we jump into part six of this series. Uh, and as the, in the program you should have had, there's a few things in that I want to highlight. The first is there should be a trifold set of discussion questions because life groups are back this week. Uh, and so if you're not plugged into a life group yet, I would encourage you for uh, this week as we're launching uh, the spring session that you would jump in. You can jump in uh, to a life group on, at grovesnohomish.info uh, or check in with some of the lovely volunteers or myself today after service. Uh, live groups are an incredible opportunity to build community. Uh, this is kind of the, our avenue where we help you know even more so that you belong because God has created you to belong. Uh, and so I would love for you to join in and be a part of that. The other thing to bring up to your attention is we are currently in the middle of a 20-day uh, fast as a church. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you have not jumped into this yet, to join us. As we're just believing God for some great things to bring uh, and happen in our lives, we're believing for breakthrough for a lot of different situations, whether it's sickness or uh, it's just addictions and cycles uh, of habits that are not healthy. Uh, and we're just believing as a church that God's going to bring breakthrough in our church family. Is that a good thing? Amen. Uh, And so I would encourage you to join us. We're also praying and believing for unity across all campuses and and, and our staff, just what God was doing with vision. Uh, So we just want to always be unified because we believe there's greater power when we stand together. Uh, And then we're also believing that God's going to bring and continue to bring salvations with this message of Jesus and the hope that he uh, gives us because of his sacrifice, that we get to believe and see more people come to faith in Christ by his work and his spirit. Uh, And then we're also praying for the property. We own some property, if you don't know this, uh, in North Marysville, uh, about 57 acres, and it's in process. We're in contract. We just want to sell it so we can continue furthering what God has called us to do as a church. Uh, and so I would encourage you to, to join us in this fast as we are fasting up until the 20th of April. Uh, and I would love for you to join us if you haven't done that. Again, you can jump on to growthsnohomish.info to find out a little bit more details about that. Uh, or again, talk to myself. The last thing I want to highlight before we uh, jump into today's message is in your programs, you should ever have a couple of these cards attached to every one of them. And I want you to do me a favor real quick. If you grabbed a program, can you grab one of those cards and just kind of hold it up so I know you've got it? These are our invite cards for Easter. If you don't know this, Easter is literally two weeks away. So if you haven't gotten your baskets for your kiddos yet, if you haven't planned an Easter egg hunt at your house yet, uh, I would encourage you to start thinking about that. Because two weeks from now, Easter uh, weekend is coming, and it's an incredible time. But one of the things we want to be strategic with this year uh, is resourcing you with an opportunity to invite your coworkers, your bosses, your family, your friends, your neighbors, whatever that looks like. And I want to take a few moments today uh, because you're encouraged to take these with you because they should represent, my hope is they represent someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus. And my hope today, as I take a few moments and pray for Easter and pray for what God's doing at the Grove Church, is that you would leverage these cards and that God would drop a name or drop a family or drop names in your heart 
that need to know Jesus, that need to be invited to Easter Sunday. It's an incredible weekend where we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, uh, and that's worth celebrating and inviting people to the party. So uh, if you have those cards, there's two things I want you to do. I want you to hold it in your hand. There should be two cards per program. If someone beside you doesn't have a card, I would encourage you to share a card with them. Uh, But I want to pray for these individuals specifically. I want to pray for Easter services. I want to pray for uh, what God is doing in our church. And then I want to jump into the introduction of my message, if you will. Uh, So will you pray with me today? Uh, And if God has already put a name on your heart, would you pray for them and not just with me and listen to me, but pray for them with your own words? Uh, So God, today we just want to pause for a moment and we just want to ask you and invite you to speak to our hearts today. We ask that you would even stir our hearts towards people that we know that probably don't know you. And Lord, I ask that you would help uh, us to, God, be bold. God, be courageous. God, even be intentional with conversation. God, that it's not about an agenda. It's not about having someone and filling this place with people, but God, it's about reaching people for your kingdom. It's about filling this place with people so they can know the hope that Jesus brings to our lives. And so Lord, I pray that as we hold these cards, as we leave today with these cards, I ask that you would help each of us to have the courage and the, and the, and the faith and the boldness to reach out and simply extend an invitation to these individuals. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. I'm sorry my mic is messing with us. That's the the power of my voice, if you will, just kidding. Um, But part six of this series of Lights, Camera, Action, where we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit, how he's built, established, and continues to build his church in 2019. We've spent the last six weeks, and we're going to spend another week after this, talking about this idea of who the Holy Spirit is and how does he build our lives and continue to leverage us to further his kingdom. And we've leveraged this theme of movies intentionally, And I want to take a few moments and kind of connect this idea today of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what I hope today is that you don't, oh, I've heard the fruit of the Spirit before. I can sing the song that they taught me in kids' church, uh, or I've never heard of this thing called fruit of the Spirit. I hope today that we can all come together and learn a little bit more about what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like in your life and in mine today. Uh, And so in this series, we, we leverage this idea of movies. And if you think about a movie that's done well, that it's been put really well together, it's, it's gaining a lot of traction, it's in the theaters. We have these things called, called box office smashes, right? Where if they do really well, there's a lot of people that go to these movies, what happens? They bring in a lot of money. And, and so one of the things that I, I thought would be fun today as we talk about movies for a minute is just list the top five grossing all-time movies. If anybody likes movies in here, you'll kind of be okay with this. If you don't like movies, you're just going to endure a few more moments of this, I promise. And then we'll continue on. Uh, But the top five in order from lowest, meaning number five, to number one is this. The number five is Jurassic World. $1.7 billion was brought in in the box office when the movie was in theaters. $1.7 billion. I'd like to see a percentage of that in my lifetime sometime. But uh, that's only the fifth one. The fourth one was Avengers Infinity War. Anybody ready, excited for Endgame? Come on, Avengers Endgame. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping it'll, it'll, it'll trump and beat Avengers Infinity War. But that brought in $2 billion. Star Wars, any Star Wars fans in here? Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, that brought in $2.2 billion. Uh, my dad, I grew up with Star Wars, so it's nostalgic for me to see Star Wars on this list. Uh, the Titanic. Anybody remember the Titanic? I think every time I think of the Titanic now, I think of Pastor Andrew like this. Because he, he did that in one sermon, and I can't get that out of my head now. It's not even Jack and Rose. It's literally Pastor Andrew 
And so $2.2 billion as well. So it's kind of a tie, but a little bit more, I think. And the number one grossing movie of all time, anybody guess it? Avatar. I remember when the movie came out. And then I remember someone told me it's just like Pocahontas, and it ruined the movie for me. So I haven't watched it since that was said. But that brought in $2.8 billion in the box office, which is incredible to think about that we, I, I used to really love movies. I still like them. Uh, there was a summer where I think I've seen 20 or 25 movies when I was in college, and I didn't understand money, and so I just blew it. Um, don't do that. That's not smart. I learned the hard way, and I still struggle with that. But the reality is money in movies is a big thing. And so when connecting it to this idea of the Holy Spirit, why does it matter that I bring up movies? Just to bring connection points? Kind of. But the reality is I believe this. I believe that our lives are meant to be, quote-unquote, box office smashes for Christ. Amen? I believe the attention, the recognition, the power that God wants to exhibit through us is meant to be attractive. I believe we're meant to be, as Christ has said, we're lights shining in the world. And as we think about this idea of lights, camera, action, we think about this idea that you and I, which if I'm being honest with you, I struggle with this concept because oftentimes I make it about what I do man, I really want to be a box office smash for Jesus, but I'm kind of lazy. Man, like, I'd rather play a video game than, like, talk to, talk to my children about the Bible. I'd rather watch TV, or I'd rather go hang out with my friends and go to church. There's times in my life where I find that I'm lazy, and so it makes me almost a little bit like, oh, fruit of the Spirit, yeah, I need to be loving, yeah, I need to be more kind, I need to be more patient. But I, but I can't, I've tried. And the tension I want to bring today is the simple fact, we will never accomplish what God has asked us to accomplish on our own. We won't. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. That's why we spent the last several weeks as a church working through the book of Acts. So you and I would understand what God has called us to accomplish is meant to be accomplished through his spirit. It's work in our lives, not by us. And so if you're anything like me where I like to make myself the famous part of the story, Stop. Just stop. Can we admit that we need God to be the, 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 the priority and the focus of our stories? Can we admit today that, man, in order to do what God's called me to do, in order to accomplish what he's put before me, I need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? Because we do. And as we talk about this, this conversation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is found in Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read that in just a few moments But before we do, I want us to understand this guy named Saul, who's the one that authored Galatians. He authored over half of the New Testament as we currently read it today. And Saul was this individual who was pursuing and eager to kill Christians. His purpose in life, his mission, as he called it, was to to find Christians, to find followers of the way, which which is what it was referred to in, in biblical times. His purpose was to find them, arrest them, and looking forward to seeing them executed. And I want to talk to you about this person named Saul for a few moments because I think it's pretty significant to understand the power of God's work, the power of God's Spirit's work in our lives for transformation. And I want to jump into Acts chapter 9, read a few select sections of verses, walk you through a few thoughts, bring in Galatians chapter 5, and hopefully challenge you to lean into the Holy Spirit's work in your life more today than you did yesterday. That's my hope today. So Acts chapter 9, I want to read these few passages of Scripture, 
and then pray, and then we'll continue on. Starting in verse 1, it says this. I'm reading a New Living Translation. Scripture's on the screen behind me because we have an awesome media team. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Welcome to your introduction to Saul. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation and their arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring both them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Jerk. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, it's interesting to say that this is his mission when we as Christians are actually called to be on mission with Christ. It's the great commission from Matthew chapter 28. So while Saul was pursuing his own mission, God had a different mission in mind. There's a reason I bring that up. It says a light. So as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, it says a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now pause for a minute and think about this. This man named Saul who said against Christians because he believes he's working for God has this incredible experience. He doesn't know what's going on. He just says, who are you? What's this voice I hear? He says, hey, I'm Jesus. Go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Fast forwarding into, we're going to jump into verse 19 here in a second. But what ends up happening is Saul is then blinded. The people with him hear this voice, but they can't, they don't see anything. They're a little bit confused and astounded. They gather up Saul because he's blind and doesn't know. And they bring him into Damascus where Saul just waits. The Holy Spirit speaks to Ananias, who's a follower of Christ, in Damascus and says, hey, go to this man named Saul. Ananias resists because I, I know that guy, Saul. He's seeking to kill me. I'm not interested. God, can you choose someone else? God, is there another person? Are you sure you mean Saul? He ends up yielding because he wants to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Goes and finds Saul. Holy Spirit says to to Ananias right before this, he's going to be my chosen instrument. This man who's seeking to kill Christians is going to be my chosen instrument. I don't know who's here today and you think you're too far gone or you're stepping too far away from God's purposes for your life. You think you're not, there's no way he could use you. There's a man who was killing Christians, that God flipped his life around, and he made a greater impact than he could have ever thought, to where even today his life has made an influence for you and I today because we're reading a story. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your story is. I don't know your history. But what I do know is this. God is the author of our stories. God sends the Holy Spirit to empower and free you, even as he was saying, who the Son sets free is free indeed. So wherever you're at today, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're even wrestling with this, but simply know this. God knows your story. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you struggle with. He sees beyond that because of what Christ has done in your life and what Christ wants to do in your life. Because he died on the cross thousands of years ago. We could celebrate that in his resurrection two weeks from now. So Saul has this incredible encounter. His buddies pick him up, carry him into Damascus, and he's waiting This man named Ananias comes over. He prays for him. It says what looks like scales fell off his eyes. He began to see. He began to eat. And then we pick up in verse 19. It says this. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. Total transformation. 
saying, He indeed is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't they come here, or didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Fast forward just a little bit to verse 26. It says this When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, who I know Pastor Andrew referenced a couple weeks ago, brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus as now the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greeks, he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. So when the believers heard about this, they, looked, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace. What a beautiful picture. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. I want to pray today for God's word. And so will you pray with me? God, today we just simply thank you that you care. Lord, we thank you for the life of this man named Saul. Lord, even though he was far away from you, even though he believed he was serving you and doing what you called him to, and he was off mission, Lord, you saw what you had created him to be, and you showed up. Lord, I pray much in the same way today as we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, as we talk about this thing called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would never leave here today with a spirit of condemnation, but God, that we would leave with a spirit of encouragement and boldness and a willingness to do what you've called us to do. Lord, I thank you that you care. I thank you that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love this picture of Saul because originally Saul, we could see it was a callous, a self-righteous, bigoted murderer who was on a full-scale mission to eradicate the followers of Christ. That was a snapshot of who Saul was. If you were to see him on his Instagram profile, on his Facebook profile, that would be his bio. I'm self-righteous, I'm calloused, I'm hard-hearted, and I'm all about killing Christians. Well, technically, he wasn't about killing them. He was about resting them so they would be dead. And all of a sudden, they had this incredible, incredible experience. Saul was uttering threats. Saul was desiring and determining and getting people to support him on his mission to go kill Christians. So much so that the believers of the way, Christians in that time, We're not interested in being anywhere around Saul. We see throughout this entire passage that there were some interesting moments, that there were some significant moments where Saul is trying to, after this encounter with Christ, to make relationship, to build community, to to surround himself with people so we can learn. One of my favorite verses that I can't tell you the reference because I only know the content of the verse but it's on my wall in my cubicle at the, at, the, at the Marysville campus office. And it says this, Saul said this, I, the only thing I preached was Christ and him crucified and the need to repent and trust God. My paraphrase, obviously. But in Acts chapter 20, I believe it is, Paul has this moment where he said, this is all I'm preaching. Because what I once knew, and Paul says this throughout the New Testament in the different writings, what I once knew I count as garbage. Because now I know Christ and him crucified. 
What we know about Christ, what we know about the Bible, can I just say for a moment, can we put that to the side so we can hear with fresh ears what God wants to tell us today about the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Can we for a moment say, you know what, God, I don't want to presume that I know what love or joy or peace or patience means. I just want to know what you need to tell me today. Because as you walk out of these doors, as you walk out into the parking lot, as you jump in your cars and go on to the next part of your schedule, here's what I want you to know. That a life that is spirit-filled is evidenced by fruitfulness. A life that's spirit-filled, we've talked about this for the last several weeks, a life that's spirit-filled is evidenced by fruitfulness. Now, if I were to buy a tree and not have a tag on it, but I knew it was a fruit tree of some kind, and I stuck it in my ground, I wouldn't know what kind of tree it was until it bore fruit. But you know what has to happen in order for that tree to bear fruit? It has to be taken care of. It has to be cultivated. The soil has to be fertilized. It has to be watered. It has to be taken care of so it can, in fact, provide fruit. My challenge to you today is do you view your life as a tree? Because for those of us who have crossed the line of faith and following Christ, we should. Because we're meant to be fruitful. See, it wasn't until Barnabas brought him to the apostles and vouched for him. We see this tension with the followers. We see this tension with the new believers. Why didn't they trust Saul? Because they knew his reputation. What they didn't know was the fruit of his life was bearing then. What they didn't understand is that his life was actually bearing good fruit because he encountered Christ. What they didn't realize is that he was actually proclaiming the name of Jesus as the Messiah, which is what he was in direct opposition for before then. What, why didn't that news spread faster? But all we know is that the, the, the disciples were resistant to, to Saul at first. If I call him Paul, you'll have to forgive me because his name is changed later on in the book of Acts to Paul, where he became the author of many of the New Testament books. So he saw Paul, so if I get that confusion, you'll have to give me the grace. It's interesting because throughout Saul's, Saul's writings, as Paul writing the New Testament, we see this tension between sinfulness and spirit. Where the sinful nature in our lives before Christ will lead us to multiply sin upon sin upon sin as we lean into and we reject and neglect our spirit. God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given it to you and I so we can accomplish what he's called us to, but so we can also walk in what he's asking us to walk in. But Paul, throughout his writings in the New Testament, this tension of the Holy Spirit versus the sinful side is fighting and waging war as much as we know it. And we, can't, we can see it in no greater space than the book of Galatians chapter 5. Before we jump into the Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, I want us to hear and see Paul's entire writing when it comes to this idea of the sinful side versus the spiritual side. It says this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. It says, For you have been called to live in freedom. These letters are written to the church, to the followers of Christ in Galatia. And when he's writing, he's writing to an audience that knows the truth about Jesus. Now, the audience doesn't always follow it, but the audience knows it. And so when he says this, for you have been called, he's talking to what he calls brothers and sisters, meaning those who are following Christ along with them. It says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, 
Use your freedom to serve one another in love. We don't like that word serving because it's not self-seeking. I'll raise my hand first. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That in and of itself will preach. As myself? No thanks. I'll love them as them. Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know their stories? And here's the thing I'm preaching to myself. I've met my neighbors, but I don't know their full story. I know my neighbors across the street that they were in ministry for a while. They, they, I believe they still go to church. I see their, their kids come over, their grandkids all the time. I can't tell you their kids' names or their grandkids' names. My wife probably could because she's a better neighbor than me. I know Omar, who's directly to my right. I don't know anybody else in the family. I know my kids. I know their names. I know my wife's name. I know my name. I know what I want to do with my free time. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Do you know each other's names? I was telling, I think, Andrew Klesik earlier, I said, I said, it's hard being here only a few times. This is my third time that I've been able to come and be a part of Snohomish. And I don't like it because I don't remember all the names. So what I'm going to do is when you leave today, I'm actually going to take a picture and write your name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there's something about, do we know each other? Or do we, or do we have a, a judgment about one another that we base our opinions of each other off of? I think that's more my rhythm and my routine. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Here's the tension. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly fighting each other. Do you feel this in your own life sometimes if you're following Christ today? Like, yes. Paul says that I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Who can save me from the rest that I am? Thanks be to God in heaven. It's Jesus Christ, my Lord. The two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, here's a great list that I don't like reading. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. This is when the sinful nature takes over. Sorcery, idolatry, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. I wrestle with jealousy for sure. Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness. Can we stop with the words already? Wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have a choice to make on a regular basis. Who are we going to lean into? Ourselves or the Holy Spirit? God has given us the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit to you and I today so we can live as he has called us to live. But we have one of two choices. Am I going to believe that I can do it on my own? Or am I going to believe that I can't do it on my own? I need the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. 
to be the husband, to be the dad, to be the man that I'm supposed to be, that I want to be, I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I failed miserably. When I first got married to my wife, I was a bachelor mentality living, cohabitating with my wife. I was selfish. I was lazy. I was arrogant. I wasn't listening. Some of you are like, that's not normal. No, it shouldn't be normal. And you know what? Even though I'm getting ready to celebrate 10 years of marriage, I still don't have it figured out. I told my wife this weekend, I said, I actually feel like I'm probably the best that I've ever been engaged in our marriage today. By the grace of God, she affirmed me in that. Can you imagine? She's like, oh, what? All right, I'll keep working on it. But do you know why I feel that way? It's because I feel what God's doing in me. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complacent in my walk with Jesus like I was a year ago. I'm not lazy when it comes to understanding, God, I know you, you have great things for me. But can they just be easy? But here's the thing, I'm not even perfect. I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling to be who he's called me to be. There's a man by the name of John Orberg who wrote this book that I read several years ago called Soul Keeping. It's one of a book that I've recommended to a lot of the leaders that were underneath my leadership. It's a book that I would strongly recommend to you today if you've not read it. The beauty of this book is it talks about the value and the priority of our souls. And I want to take a few moments and read some excerpts out of it because he paints a really clear picture, a really um, well-spoken picture that I can't speak nearly as well as he can. He wrote it too, so that's another thing. Um, but it paints a really good picture of this tension that exists in all of us, especially when it comes to the sinful nature. So I want to just take a few moments and read this, um, and then I'll, I'll kind of lead us to a point of conclusion. But it says this, a single act, of, it's under the t- heading like sin begets sin. In other words, sin multiplies sin in our lives. That it's not, hey, I sinned once and it's okay, but sin will multiply sin, which is why we need the work of the Holy Spirit, which is why the fruit of the Spirit is such a big deal in our lives because it's an indicator of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Anyways, sin begets sin. A single act of dishonesty is not a petty act because it ends up shaping how we view ourselves. We are souls. Everything is connected. That singular deceit determines how far we will allow our standards to slip and still regard ourselves as basically good people. Every act of wrongdoing, which is sin, leads to the greater likelihood of another act. Start as small as you want. Stand in the express lane of the grocery store with too many groceries in your cart. 17 grocery items in in a 12 or less aisle. Try to board a plane when it's not your group's turn. I'm not dishonest. I'm in a hurry. I'm too important to wait my turn. Now, not many of us would say I'm too important, but the reality is we believe we're too important. Once you rationalize that first sin, it makes it more likely that you will say it was traffic. It was the traffic when it wasn't the traffic. It makes it more likely that you will say, I'm sure I sent that email. When you know you did not send that email, been there, done that. If you say it often enough, you will come to remember and believe you sent that email. It makes it more likely that you will cheat on an expense account or fudge on your resume. Is it any wonder that workplaces become filled with gossipy, cynical, judgmental people exaggerating their own contributions and minimizing, minimizing those of others? We tolerate jealousy, sabotage, greed, but only enough so we can all feel good about ourselves because we're good people. 
Sometimes wrongdoing increases so much it can be rationalized anymore. It can't be rationalized anymore. When that happens, the common response is not repentance. It is not people saying, oh God, how could this happen? How could I be capable of this? What happens is much more like what happens when you're on a diet. If you cheat moderately for a while, you will still think you're on a diet. But if somebody blows it a lot, that will often happen. What will often happen is in their mind, they will say, well, I've already blown it, so I might as well just binge and eat anything I want to. When I cross over that line, I can't pretend anymore. Generally, what will happen is the more is the more that moral that moral behavior will collapse completely. You see, sometimes in scandal-ridden companies or corrupt executives and abusive families, in the nightmare of child molestation, even in the unbelievably scarring words hurled at anyone who does not look like or think like us, you reach a point where you know what you're doing is so wrong, you don't care anymore. Conviction is not just the pain of getting caught or pain over consequences. It means God-given, really sober sense of remorse over what I thought to, I ought to feel remorse about. Let me reread that, sorry. Conviction is not the pain of getting caught or pain over consequences. It means a God-given, really sober sense of remorse over what I ought to feel remorseful about. It's a God-given ache for goodness. A prodigal son comes to his senses. The mighty King David is humbled by a phrase, thou art the man. A sinful woman aching for forgiveness bathes Jesus' feet with her tears. In the same way the stomach hungers for food, the the conscious hungers to be cleansed. It is a God-given ache for goodness. We live in a world of war where we are fighting against sinful habits and tendencies and a desire for more. The conviction reminds us of that, that we feel. As I read statements about an email being sent that you didn't really send, but you said you did just to cover your bases. I've been in that boat. I still have a tendency at times to to not fully be honest. It's the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings that, hey, there's there's a better story for you. See, Paul understood this fight personally. He was, the, he was first eager to kill Christians only to encounter Christ and understand Christ was the Messiah. He was transformed by the Holy Spirit into someone filled with the fruit. And he goes on to talk about what this looks like in Galatians 5, to 25. He says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The evidence of a Spirit-filled life is fruitfulness. How's your fruit today? This list of fruit of the Spirit, we need to understand a couple things. It's not meant to be viewed as individual fruit. I remember as a kid, they used to write the different fruit of the Spirit. I grew up in the church, so I went to Sunday school classes a lot. And they would write love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness on different types of fruit. And I remember as a kid thinking, oh, okay, cool, like these are awesome, I guess. But that's just what we did as a kid, and kids think they're cool. But that's not how it's meant to be viewed. When, it, when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, it's intended to talk singularly. 
as like a bunch of grapes. Which means this, that all of these are meant to be evident in our lives as Christians. We can't pick and choose or excuse our ways out of others because we think we're good in some. Well, I'm really good at at the patience filter, so I don't really need love as much. No, they're meant to be a bunch. It's a bunch of grapes. That's what it's meant to be viewed as. See, the interesting thing about patience, and and I have a list broken down. I don't have time to get into it. But the interesting thing about patience is a statement that was said that convicted me because I'm not the most patient individual. Some of you who know me know that. You can just be quiet. But the interesting thing about patience is it's willing to endure and be patient with someone even when you're severely tired. If you ever use the excuse like, well, I'm just really tired today, so I'm a little grumpy, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just, I'm really hungry, so I'm, I'm kind of hangry, so I'm a little bit on the grumpy edge, so I apologize for being rude to you. You're rude to your waitress or your server at the restaurant you go to because, well, I didn't get my food in time or my drink got empty. Oops. Patience says otherwise, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says that we can be gentle and we can be kind even when the behavior isn't dictating kindness or gentleness. That we can be gentle in the face of difficulty. We can be gentle in the face of, of hardship because the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives causes us to be so, not because the situation determines it. Joy has a filter and a correspondence of of, of happiness. But the problem with happiness as the world understands it is happiness is anchored to circumstance. Joy is not. That no matter what I face circumstantially, my joy is in Jesus. So therefore, as long as I look and lean into the Holy Spirit, I can have joy and hope and confidence that this is going to work out. I can have anticipation of what's coming because the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But if I base it only in circumstance, guess what I'm, I'm actually trying to hold on to? is happiness that will come and go. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is an anchor for you and I today. See, we can't excuse our way from one fruit because we are good with another one. When the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, it brings the entire bunch fully. See, some of you are just like, well, I'm just not, I just don't have self-control. I have an addictive personality. You used to have an addictive personality, but Christ, because of Christ, your life is no longer bound to what you once were. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. I don't like reading that, because then it means I can't be lazy. Well, it's not true. It means I can be lazy, but it means I'm actually being disobedient to what the Holy Spirit would bring in my life. So it brings me to this question, simple question. How do we, how do I, see the work of the Holy Spirit bring more fruit in my life? How do I become more fruitful? Psalm 1 sets up the entire book in this one chapter. But I just want to read a few verses. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. As I read that, I want to be like that. That no matter what season I walk through, no matter what season I'm facing, no matter my circumstance, that I can be like a root planted by a riverbank, that my leaves will not wither, and that I will bear fruit in season. That's what I want. But catch the part where it says, they delight in the law of the Lord. They delight in God's ways. Do you delight in God's ways? They're inconvenient. 
to my humanity, but they're so much better than what I could do on my own. Jesus says these words in John 15, four through five. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I, can I caution you for a moment to stop trying to do it on your own today? Just stop. Surrender. Say, God, your ways are better than my ways. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come back into my life, to fill me, to lead me, to guide me so I can bear fruit for you. This picture of fruit is not limited just to the New Testament. It's actually also in the book of Revelation. In chapter 14, we see this occurrence that happens towards the, when, before Christ comes back, there's this moment of, of harvest is what chapter 14 refers to. It's the harvest of the righteous and the harvest of the wicked. There's two different harvests that will happen. Those who have said yes to Christ and live according to his ways and those who have rejected Christ and rejected living to his ways. I don't want to talk about the, the harvest of the wicked. I want to talk about for a moment this idea of, of what it means for you and I, if we're righteous before God, how do we continue to bear fruit and stay fruitful? And in his commentary and his, his writings about Revelation chapter 14, this guy named James Hamilton, who's a pastor and a scholar, he writes this. He says, if we want to bear fruit for God's glory, we need to think about soil and fertilizer and clean water. Ultimately, we must be branches connected to the true vine Jesus by faith. Apart from that, the other influences in our lives are meaningless. The other things we cling to, the other things we identify by, the other things we find purpose and hope and fulfillment from are meaningless apart from Christ. So we must believe the gospel, which is this, this truth of Jesus who died on the cross thousands of years ago, who was risen again on the third day, who to redeem and reconcile humanity in our worst of situations, in our worst of states, so we could become righteous, so we could have relationship once more with our Father, not just now, but also in eternity. We must believe the gospel, we must trust in Jesus, and then think of our lives as though we are trees. See, a tree needs the light of the world, which is Jesus, the living water of the word, which is the spirit working through the Bible, and the gardener, which is the father who cultivates the soil. In short, we need to trust in Christ, hear his word proclaimed, and fellowship with the family of God in the church. So again, I ask, are you viewing your life as a tree? If so, how's your fruitfulness? How is the work of the Spirit evident in your life today? Are you, are you loving, joyful, kind, patient? He can speak if he wants to. <laughs> I'm always encouraged because Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Not that I'm Jesus. But it never bothers me when kids are in service or they're screaming or crying, so don't ever feel like you're doing a disservice. But do you view your life as a tree? If so, how's your fruit? Maybe today you don't have any fruit. I would encourage and invite you to take a moment as I'm praying and invite the Holy Spirit once more. Because the reality is this. 
To do what God has called us to do requires the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you and I know if the Holy Spirit's actively working in our lives? Check your fruit. Read through that list. Study that list in Galatians chapter 5 and say, God, show me where I'm missing it. And don't hyper-focus on one, but look at them all and say, God, show me this bunch of fruit that you've said would be a byproduct in my life because of your work and your spirit. I want to pray for you today. And then we'll transition. So Lord, today I thank you again for your love and your grace. Lord, I do pray simply for wisdom to know what we need to stop doing so we can start doing what you've called us to. So we can start leaning more on your spirit. So we can start leaning more on the work of your son and reflect on Jesus. God, even as we view our lives as trees, Lord, I just simply pray you would help us to think about water. That you would help us to think about cultivating the soil that you would help us think about the fertilizer, that we would recognize our need to remember you, Jesus, to trust you, Holy Spirit, as you speak to us through his word, through your word. And Father, you're the gardener, so will you cultivate? Will you cause fruit to grow in our lives as we allow you access to the soil of our hearts? We love you today, and I thank you that you desire great things for us. Lord, I thank you that it's not a message of condemnation, but it's of hope. Because apart from you, you, we can do nothing. So Lord, I pray you would guide every bit of our hearts today. Help us to not get condemning or critical of ourselves, but help us to be honest and transparent. So Holy Spirit, you can speak in honesty and in love. We love you today and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.